just talking about it. We've got a good group of prayer warriors. We got a whole bunch of prayer warriors right here right now, but we've got a group of prayer warriors that are going to take your prayers and they're going to take them out there and they're going to pray to God about it. So take advantage of that. Amen? Amen. We've got a lot of good people in this church uh, covering the ministries. Uh, I would invite you to search your heart. If there's something that you would like to see yourself doing in this church, Lord, there's, there's plenty of room for active ministry in this church, okay? Whatever it may be, lend your talents. You'll be blessed for it. So I wasn't going to talk about that, but um, I take part in the ministry of this church as well. And uh, one of the things that is uh, part of what I do is uh, standing up here right now talking to you about the Word of God. So uh, Keenan uh, put me in line to do this today, so I'm going to do my best for you. I hope these words uh, inspire somebody today. Um, I pray to God that if anything I'm about to say is not of God, may he take it from me. So if I blank out for a second, that means that God has shut me down for a second, and I'll pick it back up, okay? <laughs> you know, pastor's talked about many times. He's come up here, and he's talked about, uh, I'm going to share a word with you as soon as I get one. He's one of those guys, you know, and I believe that. I believe that uh, God speaks directly to our pastor. He inspires him, fills him with everything he needs to inspire us, to teach us. I'm not quite that guy yet, so I had to actually go and do some work. <laughs> I, had to, I had to actually put my own brain into it. So I'm, I'm a little bit, uh, little bit behind on that, but I'm, I did my best, and I hope it's pleasing to you. And uh, here we go. The title of my message today is going to be Love the Cornerstone of Righteousness. So what I want to talk about today is one of the things that I have been blessed with as being an elder and a minister of this church. Um, there was an event that I was blessed to be a part of on this past Friday. Uh, due to my position here at Full Potential Ministry, I'm in possession of a ministry license. So I can, uh, I can legally marry people. It allows me to legally officiate and marry people should they choose me to do so. So my cousin's daughter, her name's Angel, such a sweet girl. I don't think her name's an accident. But um, she came to me and she asked me if I could marry her and her uh, fiancé. And, and I told her, of course. And we talked about it for a while. And uh, we talked about what she wanted, what he wanted, um, what I needed to bring to the process as far as being a minister of a church of Christ. Uh, I have been approached by uh, more than one group of people that just kind of want me to marry them, you know, not, a, uh, not really to invite God into the process, but uh, can, we, we just want to be married. Can you do that? And I tell them no. I tell them no because uh, I, I take it very seriously. Um, so... Um, some may say uh, with a credit card and a couple of clicks of a mouse, anyone can get a ministry license. I know people that have them. MarryMe.com or whatever it is. So it's not really a big deal. Some people think it's a really big deal, but I think, uh, I think it's a really big deal. I take it very seriously. It's an honor for me. 
And I don't value it for selfish reasons. I don't value being able to do something like that because I want to stand up in front of crowds and look important and say flowery things and I don't need the pat on the back and the you did a great job afterwards. Uh, I appreciate all that, but it's not why I do it. I honor it so much because I buy into the value that God puts on the union of man and wife. God's will for marriage is a lifelong bond of love between a man and a woman ordained by him. God considers marriage to be an agreement between a husband and a wife as well as a commitment between the couple and him. He expects us to dedicate ourselves to the relationship and to recognize our responsibilities, our duties, and our loyalties to both our spouse and to God. I've done a few weddings, and uh, quite often I like to go to Genesis uh, when I go to the when I write up a, a script or a service, if you will. And uh, the reason why I think that's important is uh, I really do believe that God's first, or one of God's first real acts of love was to provide him with a helpmate, right? So God gave man all the animals, all the birds of the sky, all the fish of the sea, but he said, it is not good for man to be alone. So he provided God with a helpmate. And I think it was the first, the first real act of love that God did for man. In Ecclesiastes 4.12, the Bible tells us, though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves, a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Um, if, I'm sure you've seen this in weddings in the past, the cord of three. It's a ritual that some people do in the marriage, and uh, it represents, one cord represents the bride, one cord represents the groom, and one cord represents God. And they're braided together, and the, uh, the point of it is, is to illustrate the union of man and, God, man and woman along with God. So as it reads, a cord of one may be overpowered. I by myself may be overpowered. But with my helpmate, I've got a leg up. But if me and my helpmate can invite God into the union, now that's powerful. Amen? Amen. So braiding these strands symbolizes the joining of man, woman, and God in marriage. But as we know, sometimes things don't work out. Statistics say in the year 2022, 45% of marriages will end in divorce. So what do we do about that? How do we enter into and sustain a covenant such as this when in a turbulent world, things like infidelity, addiction, past hurts, money concerns, and more they just seem intent on tearing this union down. I think this is just as much for the new couples, for the people thinking about getting married. And this institution, this, this thing I'm about to talk about today, not only applies to the 
the, the relationship of man and wife, it also applies to the relationship to one another, the brother-sister relationship, the mother-father relationship, the son-mother relationship, the friend relationship. If you have a relationship that's bonded in love, this message is for you. So any structure that is expected to stand through all the ages needs a firm foundation. In that foundation, there needs to be a first laid brick or a cornerstone. So I want you to think about that for a minute. Uh, in this church on, down below us, there's a, a foundation. Without the foundation, the church wouldn't stand as it does, right? So when they laid the foundation of this church, they had to lay a first laid brick or stone or poor, if you will. And that is the point where everything else followed. It's the beginning point. And in the beginning corner of this building that we rest in right now, it's a 45-degree angle to the next place. What would happen if the angle was 45 degrees? By the time we got to the next corner, we would be misaligned. Right? Does that make sense? So what I'm trying to say is the cornerstone is the first laid brick and all other bricks, stones, pores need to align themselves with that first laid brick. If not, well, our finished product will not take shape as it should. Does that make sense? So the cornerstone is uh, considered to be the beginning point of the structure. A marriage or any relationship for that matter, needs what as its cornerstone? I would call Jesus for sure. Love. Our pastors mentioned in past messages that if we were able to break down God to his very DNA, he would be love. Love is at the foundation of everything God does for us. Everything. Love is so important to God that it is mentioned in the Bible. How many times do you think? How many times do you think love is mentioned in the Bible? Give me a guess. Nobody's got anything? 550 times the word love is mentioned in the Bible. Our very creation is the result of, the desire, of God's desire to love and to be loved. He loves us so much that he granted us the ability to choose him freely. I want you to think about that. God has the ability to do whatever he wants. He can create us in any way he wants. And he gave us the ability to choose him freely. He didn't want robots. He didn't want slaves. He wanted free people that would love him because he was him. Right? When Adam and Eve chose to follow their own desires, God loved us so much that he sent his son to pay for our sins and provide us salvation. God loves us with the agape love. Stepping on my cord. The agape love in the Bible is a love that comes from God. God's love is not sentimental. It's a part of his character. It's not conditional. 
It doesn't depend upon your age, your genetics, your financial status, how much or how little you do for the church. He loves everybody with the agape love. Amen? As 1 John 4.8 states, God is love. Meaning he is the source of agape love. His love is undeserved by us. It's gracious and it's sacrificial. Can we love like that? I wonder about that sometimes, but God seems to think we can. So let's move forward. We are to love God and others with the agape love. Agape is a choice. A, deli a deliberate striving for another's highest good. And is demonstrated through action. So if we are to love with the agape love, it's our goal to go out there and to be there for the betterment of the person we are loving. Putting them first before ourselves. God set the standard for agape love in sending Jesus to die for us while we were still sinners. Without the agape love, can you imagine what would have went through Jesus' mind as he laid on that cross, knowing that he was doing it for a bunch of people that were sinners and didn't really care about him too much? He did it because he understood to do that would pay the way for our sins. And he did that in sacrifice for us. Agape love does not come naturally to us in our sinful state. However, it does come naturally to God and is a major part of him. By drawing closer to him and experiencing his love, we are able to begin to understand what this real love means. Only through him can we show and experience agape love. And I would like to go through a few examples of what agape love is as illustrated by the scriptures. I know I've talked about this before. We love by condition. We love with a hierarchy. It's our nature. We have our friends. We have our children. We have our spouses. We have our parents. Unfortunately, we like to say we love everybody the same, but unfortunately in our nature, we have conditional love. I do think a lot of I do think good parents love their kids all the same. But do you love your friend the same way you love your spouse? Right? Do you love your coworker the same way you love your mom? The agape love says we should. But do we? Is it in our nature? So I'm going to start off with Matthew 22, 34 through 40. And this is an illustration that showed the agape love. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question, Teacher, 
Which is the greatest commandment in the law? They're trying to trip Jesus up. And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So the Pharisees were trying to trip Jesus up and get him to put one commandment above the other. And he gave them the right answer. I wonder if they ended up being able to do it. So the Lord God said, Jesus said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. Put him first. I think that's what he was trying to say. Love him first. And if you can do this, if you can put me first, and if you can love your neighbor as yourself, all the rest of the commandments will hang upon these two. In Matthew 5, 43, 48, we have another illustration. You have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward would you get? Are even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? That not, do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. I think that's one of the hardest things we have a hard time doing is uh, finding love for people who find harm in us. People who criticize us unnecessarily. People who beat us down. People who abuse us. People who steal from us. We're supposed to love them like we love our brother. Do you struggle with that? I struggle with that sometimes. But I believe it's true because the Word of God says it's true. And when he says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect, when he says perfect, can any of us really live up to that? But what I think he's really asking us for is when it comes to the agape love, strive to be perfect at it. Next, I have a scripture that is really done in a lot of weddings. You always see a lot of weddings doing this. It's from Ephesians 4.2, and the following scripture illustrates the key characteristics of the agape love. 
It not only states what love is, but what it is not. And I would like to briefly touch on each point, hopefully to gain some perspective on each subtopic. So if we're going to strive toward the agape love, we have to really understand what it takes to gain that. What is it? So Ephesians breaks it down and gives it the characteristics of what love is. And I'd like to touch on that for a minute. The first one is love is patient. In Ephesians 4.2, it says, completely, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing for one another in love. God is patient. We fail time and time again, acting in selfishness and ignorance, yet his love for us endures. Yes, thank you, Lord. We've given him a lot of time to give up on us, but yet he, per, he perseveres in his love for us. I'm so thankful for that. The next one is love is kind. And in Ephesians 4.32, it says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as Christ forgave you. We tend to not want to forgive people and we tend to feel like thankful for God forgiving us because we feel justified in our position in Christ. We also feel justified in not forgiving the person that hurts us. It's hard to forgive someone. It's hard to forgive someone because what I've struggled with in the past on this if my forgiving you is me saying that it's okay that you hurt me. And I was wrong about that. Forgiveness is the ability to take away the power of the person that hurts you and to take that burden and give it to God. To forgive is divine. And it's for you. It took me a long time to figure that out. Forgiveness is for you. If I don't forgive the one that hurts me, I'm never going to let go of that. Past hurts is like a, a bag of bricks laying on your shoulder. All you got to do is set it down. You got to forgive them. Now saying all that, sometimes I still struggle with it. So pray for me. It's easy to let hurts and betrayals of others harden our hearts. But if we can choose kindness over hatred, our hearts will soften and we will draw closer to God. The next point is love does not envy. I got this from Proverbs 23 and 17. Do not let your heart envy sinners but live in the fear of the Lord always. The way of the sinner can, sh can seem shiny and enticing, but to stray away from the Lord's will is temporary and self-destructive. You may get a little bit of the life if you stray away, if you envy the sinner's life, you want to be like that. 
It may feel good for about five minutes, but I promise you that's going to go away. But striving after the will of God and being in, in God's will and God's love and God's presence, that's everlasting. It says, it says love does not boast. In Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace are we saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. If we are to boast for the good that our life is, are we really willing to take accountability for the bad of it? Right? We should. But the blessings we get from God, His gifts, we have to understand that they're done through faith and not of works. We can't take it for ourselves. It says love is not proud. In 1 John 2.16, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, is not from the Father but from the world. And this kind of is similar to boastfulness. Pride is an easy way to draw away from God and focus on our own images of ourselves. So how does that tie into the agape love? How does that topic right there tie into the agape love? If we are boastful and proud, what are we doing? We're really putting ourselves, our own image, our own opinions, our own thoughts of ourselves ahead of everybody, including the person we're supposed to be loving. And the agape love says to love first, And self-destructive. It does dishon it does not dishonor others. To dishonor someone means that you bring shame or disgrace to them. Love does not dishonor because love is not humiliating, demeaning, or inappropriate. Another version of the scripture says love does not act unbecomingly. Yeah, I'm going to break I'm going to break from this for just a second. Uh, this just came to me. Um, when I was in the wedding Friday, I was talking to the groom and I was uh talking about how this day reminded me of my wedding day when I was about his age, about 25 years ago, something like that. 24. Did I get that right? She doesn't know either. So I told him I was a 25-year-old man, and I was, I didn't know much about Christ at that time. I knew who he was, but I didn't really know who he was. But I knew who I was. I was a young, strong, capable, smart. Can you hear the arrogance coming out of me? I had it covered. And I was standing up there at that altar with no fear, looking out amongst the crowd, probably about 120 there at the time. I'm sure you were there. Were you there, Dean? Do you remember that far back? All right, good. 
I know my mom was there and Carol. So I was standing there with no fear until the most beautiful thing I ever saw in my life in a white dress stepped out into that double doorway. I know I'm kind of pointing at you, Mike McKee, but I'm not talking about you. It was not Mike McKee I was looking at. So I went from this strong, confident, capable, full of pride, full of whatever else, and that sucked the wind right out of me. So I went from thinking I had it all covered to asking myself, am I worthy of this? I'm thankful I was. She hasn't kicked me out yet. We're doing pretty good, I think. So can I tell you that when I strive the most to fulfill the agape love, I do it for that lady right there. She is the most important person in my life. And I would move mountains to make sure she was okay. I love her much more than I love myself. Not as much as God, but I think you understand that. I also have a person in my life. This person can push my buttons easier than any person in the whole world. Do you know who that is? The same person. <laughs> the same person. When you are married for years and years and years and you get used to people and they say you hurt the ones that you love, I always thought that was uh, baloney for lack of a better word. If I want to be a jerk to somebody, I'm going to go to Kroger and be a jerk to the cashier. I'm not going to be a jerk to someone I love, right? But I think I understand the point behind the thing. When you're with your spouse or someone you love, you're comfortable being able to be yourself. You're comfortable being able to be blunt sometimes. You're comfortable being able to call people out on their baloney, for lack of another word. But sometimes when you're on the receiving end of that, you don't really appreciate those things, right? So I'm going to work every day to strive toward the agape love for not only for her, but for all people. So that's what I had to say about that. The next thing about the agape love in, in um, Corinthians is it is not self-seeking. Love is not being practiced if we are not concerned others of others and only pursuing our own self-interests. Everything God has ever blessed us with due to his love for us, not to buy our love for him. If you're in an agape love relationship, like a marriage, you owe each other your time. We have things we have to do. I have a job. I have many other things I do. 
But if you're taking all your time away and you're spending more time at work or at the church or at um, the softball diamond or at the sports bar or anywhere you're at, if you're seeking your own self-interest over that person you are striving to love, you're not practicing love. Amen? Amen? So we owe each other our time. Love is not easily angered. In 1 James 19 and 20, it says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. That kind of links back to what I just got done talking about, about pushing each other's buttons. You need to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. But it tears us down. Love, it keeps no record of wrongs. This kind of links back to forgiveness. It's impossible to love somebody and at the same time hold the bad things that they may have done in the past against them. I've done some things that I'm ashamed of, that I regret. I think we all have. But if we're going to love, we can't let these things be what is in our heart when we look at these people that we are to love. That's where forgiveness comes in. That's where letting go comes in. But on the other side of that coin, if we are to be forgiven, we have an obligation to change for the better, right? Sometimes things don't work out in a relationship. Sometimes you can forgive, 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 and the person will keep doing the same thing. Sometimes it's just healthiest to move on. But that's the last thing you do. Forgive, strive to love, strive to encourage. Amen? Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. This goes beyond typical love in terms of affection. It describes love as not just who we care for, but what we care for them to have. If we are to strive to love in the agape way, it's my hope that your life is the best it can be. I can get the, that your life can have the best in it. I want that for you because I love you. God wants that for you because he loves you. He wants your best life. In this case, God calls for us, God calls us to want for the lives of the people we care about to may be made right and to be made whole. And to wrap it up, it says, Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. That's the challenge, isn't it? Always protect, even when they're hurting us. Always trust, even when we don't feel it, always hope, even when it seems hopeless, and to always persevere, even when we want to quit, 
That's the agape love. And last but not least, the agape love never fails. And I think that wraps it up, right? It pretty much covers it in my opinion. Understanding and living by these principles are key to loving and godly righteousness. And I'm going to leave you with this. John 13, 34 and 35, Jesus told the disciples, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one, one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Let's be disciples. Strive toward the agape love. Thank you for your time.